0: Life. Well, we are uh, diving into this last part of our series called Abundance. And today marks a really important day for the church, not just our church, but the wider church. So I don't know if you know this, but historically the church has had a different calendar than the rest of the world. I don't know if you knew this or not. And actually for the church, today is the last day of the year. And next week we celebrate and welcome a new year, a new church year. And on the last day of the year, which is around this time, we always celebrate what's called Christ the King Sunday. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Next week, we begin Advent. And Advent is the beginning of the church year. So in many ways, what we do today on Christ the King Sunday is we kind of wrap up our year and we look forward to this new year. We look forward to celebrating uh, the incarnation of Jesus and we welcome the King Uh, king jesus at christmas time and so on christ the king sunday typically we talk and we reflect on the kingdom of god we reflect on jesus as king and jesus as messiah and i did a little bit of that last week and if you do get the midweek wednesday wisdom bible study emails it was the focus it was focused on the kingdom of god and jesus as king so if you do want to get those you can use that connection card to get it And I wanted to prepare us last week, last Wednesday, to think about this Sunday, because this Sunday is when we are moving from talking about abundance in our life to specifically talking about generosity, and I wanted it to be framed in this idea that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. He is the one in charge, because as we enter into talk about money, what happens is that people get pretty bristly. Especially when they have a pastor that stands up there and talks about money, people can get kind of bristly. And I understand. I do not like it when pastors ask for money. And I hear enough of asking for money from pastors on television and radio and uh, sermons that I watch on YouTube or services that I stream throughout the week. Pastors like to ask for money. What I'm not doing today is asking for your money. And I want to make that very clear up top. We are going to be talking about money today. And it's important, I think, to talk about money and talk about generosity on Christ the King Sunday because, in our lives, in kind of our world, in the the world that we inhabit in the United States right now, kind of the economic reality of our world, for most of us, cash is king. Money is king. Because money allows us to either have comfort, it allows us to have security so we know that we're taken care of, it allows us to have fun, and it allows us to feel fulfilled because of hobbies and those kinds of things we might do. For most of us, money is very, very important, which is why we get bristly when people start talking about money. And when for most of us, money is king, and we worship at the altar of money we're wrapped up in the mortgages of our house or the payments on our car or our boats or whatever hobbies we might have we are we worship and we elevate money and what we're going to hear today is money is not king jesus is king and we're hearing this passage from acts chapter 4 that reflects on how the early church the very first believers how they operated Now, as we head into Acts chapter 4, and you may have already noticed that there are a couple of verses in there that maybe uh, made you perk up a little bit, because for our modern ears, they sound a little foreign, they sound a little weird, and in fact, depending on your particular leanings of how you believe the economy should be run, they may sound a little dangerous, the way that we're talking about it. So as we head into this passage in Acts chapter 4, I want to give you a quick little lesson. I'm going to do a little teaching here, so forgive me for that. Uh, There's two things as we approach Scripture that we need to know. Sometimes, passages in scripture are descriptive. They tell us something about what happened in a particular place in a particular time. They are descriptive, they describe something that happened. There are some passages in the scripture that are prescriptive, that actually directly command us, the readers, to do something. Now, descriptive passages are really, really important because they tell us how God operates and they tell us what God is like, and they tell us how he, inter- how he interacts in a particular situation. So we can learn a lot about God and his kingdom from descriptive passages. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of disturbing things that we read about, people misusing and abusing others. Um, either that might be uh, by murder or by sexual abuse, those kinds of things. These are descriptive passages. They are not prescriptive passages. So, we learn something about how God operates in the world, and we learn something about God by how he operates in these particular stories. But we do believe that God is not telling us to do those things that are being described. You following me so far? There are descriptions in the Bible, and there are also prescriptions, things that we are directly commanded to do. This passage that we're heading into today in Acts chapter 4 is a descriptive passage. So we, so scripture is not, God is not prescribing that we do exactly what these Christians experienced, but we do learn a lot about God, about how he operates, and what he wants for us in this passage. So we're going to head into this passage, and just keep that in mind, that it's describing what's going on, but we are going to reflect on it, and we're going to learn a lot about God along the way. So this is the passage that I want to focus on These three, three or four verses right here in Acts chapter 4 uh, This is right after Jesus is resurrected and ascends into heaven He gives the disciples the Holy Spirit They begin to proclaim the gospel They add to their number And this is what we hear uh, about them at this time Now the whole group of those who believed Were of one heart and soul And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions But everything they owned was held in common so we start off with this description here of this church. This, these were the believers who were gathered together and the whole group of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul and no one claimed private ownership over anything. This is a really interesting phrase um, here that this is used. We have to understand that at this time, the church found herself in the middle of this very Greek world. They were in Jerusalem at the time and uh, Jerusalem was ruled by the Greeks. They spoke Greek. Greek was the main language that everyone spoke, and they were impacted by Greek philosophy and Greek thought. These phrases in here are actually phrases from Greek philosophy, many years before the time of Jesus. Plato and Aristotle both used these kinds of phrases to describe friendship. So this phrase, those who believe were of one heart and soul, that's a direct quote from a work of Aristotle. And Aristotle was talking about this ideal friendship that people might have. That you are so close together that you are of one heart and soul. And here, the Holy Spirit, through the writer of Acts, is telling us that the disciples of Jesus, they actually were there. That they were so close together, they were so closely knit together, that they were of one heart and soul. They were kind of the ideal friends for each other. And same thing with these next phrases. No one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Again, this is from Greek philosophy describing the ideal friendship. This is another kind of quote lifted from Aristotle, or idea lifted from Aristotle. So here we see the writer of Acts, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is showing us and using these phrases to show us just how tightly knit this community was. They were all together. They were in one place. That they were of one heart and soul. They were locked in together. That no one claimed private ownership, but everything they had was theirs. That's how close this early community was together. And then it continues on in verse 33. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They experienced great power... And the apostles proclaiming Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. For the writer of Acts, his name is Luke, by the way. For Luke, uh, when he uses these phrases, power and grace, they're always tied to the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit filled this community that was so tightly woven together, they experienced great power. And they experienced great power specifically through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And they also experienced a great grace, that there was a goodness that was heavy over this group of people. So by the Holy Spirit, they were filled and empowered and given grace to be brought together and to share everything. And then we continue on. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned land or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So we see here because of this Holy Spirit-inspired power and grace that brought them together, they also gave to one another, that they would sell everything they had in order to serve and love and help those who were in need. And here we hear that there was nobody needy among them. What we see here in this little passage is that the Holy Spirit was working on this group of people in such a way That they really became this kind of ideal community where they were connected together, they were brought close together by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, and that they gave to each other with an open hand, that they constantly were serving each other by sacrificing their own comfort, sacrificing their own income, sacrificing their own real estate in order to serve and love those who were in need. This is the picture, the description of this community. That was here. Now we believe that God works in similar ways throughout time and space. And so we can know that even though this is a description of this community, that God expects something similar of us, even today. And not only does he expect it, but he actually promises it. And I think that one of the key phrases here is here in verse 33. is this idea of this great power and great grace that by the Holy Spirit filled the community. So we spent the last couple weeks talking about abundance. And when it comes right down to it, we've talked about abundance is this uh, idea, this conviction that God has provided a good earth for us, that there's always gonna be enough. It's the trust in God that he has given us promises to give us what we need. But ultimately, abundance comes down to this, being filled with the Holy Spirit and having this great power and great grace. It's living this kind of life in a community of believers who also are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit then gives us this conviction, abundance then. He gives us this abundance, this conviction that God is good and that he is giving us goodness and grace. It is by the Holy Spirit that we are freed from greed, that we are freed from anxiety, that we are freed from worry about what will come next because we trust in the promises that god has given us it is by the power of the holy spirit that we are freed from our anxiety and worry and that we are empowered to live life with an open hand and care for those around us ultimately abundance is not just something we will for ourselves it's not something we just work up for ourselves it has to be brought on by the Holy Spirit who fills us with great power and great grace and overflows us with his goodness and his peace. Ultimately, this is what abundance is. It's living in the Spirit. Living in this community marked by Christ. And this community now, we are a continuation of this same community. The church today in all its forms, all the little churches that meet all over our community. We are an extension. It is the same Holy Spirit that fills us, that fills this community. We are a community of the Spirit. And generosity, generosity is not something we do because we feel like we have to do it. or God's going to be mad at us. Generosity is the overflowing grace that the Spirit gives us. It's this outflowing of the power and the grace that we walk in. So we are transformed by God's in-working power of the Holy Spirit and we move forward in these acts of generosity. And what I think this passage challenges us to do is to reflect on how specifically money and our resources rule our own lives. I think that's what this passage invites us to do. I don't think that this passage commands every single one of us who own property to sell that property. But this passage does challenge us to think about how am I using my resources? Because a spirit-filled, powerful, grace-filled community uses their resources in such a way to help those who are needy among them. And I'll tell you, in our church, we have some needy families in our church. And there's enough resources in our church to care for those needy families. In our community in the Sock Valley, we have needy families. And there's enough resources in just in the Sock Valley to care for those needy families. I think the invitation of this passage is to be this kind of community where there is great power and there is great grace and nobody has need in our community. I think that's what this passage invites us to. And in fact, it's not a command. I think it's a promise that we do have peace and we do have power by the Holy Spirit and we are knit together in a community if only we would die to ourselves and sacrifice our idols, our idols of money, our idols of comfort. And that's what this requires. It requires sacrifice and dying to ourselves to seriously consider how we spend our money. What is our money wrapped up in? Is it wrapped up in bigger and bigger houses? Is it wrapped up in our hobbies? Is it wrapped up in things that make us feel good and give us some sort of pleasure in the short run? We need to seriously consider how we spend our money. We also need to seriously consider how we spend our time. Are we wrapped up watching news sources or streaming shows all the time? Or are we utilizing our time for the good of others? It also invites us to seriously consider how we're using our talents. Are we using our talents and our gifts only to make us better and our lives better? Or are we leveraging these things for the good of others, to uplift others? Generosity is the spirit empowered and spirit filled way of pointing our time, our talents, and our money toward those who are hurting and in need. That doesn't mean giving lots of money to the church, that doesn't mean selling your house. It doesn't mean selling everything you own and giving it to somebody else. What it does mean is leveraging what you have for the good of others. If you are, if your money is wrapped up in your mortgage because you have some house that you had to have, it's your dream home, and there are two of you living there and you have six, six rooms. You don't need the six rooms. But you know what? There are 17,000 kids in the foster care system in Illinois. Fill up your house, right? If you're going to have something, fill it up. Live abundantly with it. Have an open hand with it. If you're spending your money on this or that thing, make sure that it's leveraged for the good of those who are lowly and weak and needy. That's what this passage invites us into. And I'll tell you what, I bet your life will be a whole lot better if you live that way. I bet you will feel more grace-filled, more fulfilled, more peaceful, more joyous. Because at the end of the day, sharing what we have doesn't make us have less. It actually makes us have more. It makes us have more of the things that actually matter. But if our money is wrapped up in our hobbies, in whatever it might be, we're not leveraging it for the good of others. We're not leveraging it for those who are hurting I think that there are some promises in this too because I know sacrifice is hard, right? I get it because it's hard for me to sacrifice. My family lives on one income and so it's hard for us to try to stretch out what we have in order to give more, in order to be more generous and more humble and or excuse me, more, have a, more hospitality, those kinds of things. It's hard to do it, I get it because it is hard to sacrifice. It's hard to sacrifice security and comfort. It's hard to do those things. But there are some promises associated with this. And I think what the promises are is great power and great grace. That there is actually a kingdom in which we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. There is a kingdom where we can have joy, unspeakable joy. There is a kingdom where we can live fulfilled and abundant lives in Jesus Christ. There is that kingdom, and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And so we have to kill our other kings. We have to kill our other lords. We have to sacrifice and cut and cut and cut until we strive for the kingdom just like we heard last week. There are promises given in all of this. There is an abundant life that is offered to us. But we can't do it by chasing money. We can't experience abundance by chasing, sac- by chasing security. We can't experience abundance by chasing comfort. We can only find abundance by striving for Jesus and submitting to him as our king. Let's pray.